0: oh right hey i just wanted to mention uh two weeks from today june 14th excuse me wow (laughs) august 14th maybe i was just liking to rewind the the summer right and students you're probably yeah oh man school no but anyway august 14th two weeks from today um Ned Farnsworth, Uh, Ned and his wife Marisol and four kids have been with us all year long. And if you've been here for any number of years, you'll know that as they are missionaries in Ecuador and come home after four years in Ecuador and they've been here and they've done that for three or four times now. Anyway, uh, they have actively have been all year long and every year they're here actively involved in the ministry here at Heritage. And uh, we wanted to give Ned an opportunity to present their ministry, what they do in Ecuador. So on the 14th of August, two weeks from today, uh, Ned is going to be sharing their ministry, preaching the Word. And we're going to take a special offering for them uh, as they have been actively involved in helping the ministry. And they have some needs there, so we want to do that. After all these years, we thought, you know, we've never had them do that, thought it would be a great thing, so uh, that's coming up in two weeks. And I was going to mention Jeff Hash, but Jeff is here today, Jeff fell and broke his neck, literally, um, but uh, uh, I won't make a stand up, Jeff, because that might hurt, um, but he is here and I was going to mention him for, uh, for prayer and then he shows up this morning, so uh, be praying for Jeff as he recovers Had surgery. Was that Thursday, Wednesday? Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, anyway, and then I want to mention too, Scott and Haley, you saw little Sophia, and that's great, but Scott and Haley both have COVID. Uh, so, yeah. So anyway, and Scott's always talking about wanting to join the senior ministry, right? Well, Now that they have a little baby home, He's going to be older, quicker than he ever dreamed, right? <laughs> and all the parents said, hey, man, right, yeah, anyway, all right, well, hey, uh, good to have you here this morning, and uh, there's some energy, I'm excited about that, God has sup- some stuff on my heart this morning, I'm burdened, and uh, it's, we're going to be looking at the book of Jude, but I want to say to you as we start, the best defense is a good offense, have you ever heard that phrase? The best defense is a good offense. Now, probably most of you aren't thinking that has anything to do with a spiritual truth uh, because you may be, see, football season is just around the corner. And uh, if you're a college football fan or a pro football fan, you'll be hearing a lot about that. Best defense is a good offense. And some of you are looking at me like, what does that mean? others of you are like hmm i kind of have an idea and then some of you are like i know that i got i got that down yeah i know exactly what's going on with that and And so for those of you who may not be sure, the idea is that when you get two teams out on the field, we'll use the illustration of football, and you get both teams out there and and one is on offense and one is on defense, and, and the best defense is a good offense means that the longer the offense has the ball, right, the less they have to play defense. When you have, when you're on offense, that's when you can score points. You can't score, well, I guess you can score on defense, but... But when you're on defense, the idea is you're trying to stop the other team from scoring. But if your offense is really high-powered and say, you know what, we're going to go at it, we're going to be aggressive, we're going to overwhelm the other team with our offense, it's going to keep the defense on the field a lot longer and not give them a chance to get their offense out on the field and score. So a good offense that keeps the other team on the field and keeps their defense on the bench resting, uh, the best defense is a good offense. Now, as we talk about that, this morning, and I am going to make a spiritual application. You figure, well, there's got to be something here as we look at the book of Jude, and and so I hope that offense-defense thing makes sense to you. Hopefully, as we continue through, you'll grab a hold of that. Uh, so stay with me. But as we look at the letter that Jude wrote to a group of believers, a group of churches, probably. The theme that we've been saying is standing against apostasy, contending for the faith. And as we talk about it, let me just say an apostate is a person who claims to know and follow Jesus. All right. They claim, they profess, but they've never been transformed by faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe they've been baptized. Maybe they've even been actively engaged in the church. Uh, Maybe they're involved with other people in the church. But somewhere along the way, they abandon the faith. That's what an apostate does. Gives the evidence that I look like one who knows Jesus, but I walk away. I abandon faith. The faith, And as I do that, uh, an, an apostate is one who would reject Jesus as the one and only Savior who would deny Christ's death on the cross for our sin, who would deny the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. An apostate would throw all of what we know as the faith that God once delivered to the saints. Throw it out. It doesn't matter anymore. And so Jude says we need to contend for the faith. Back in verse 3 of the letter of Jude, contend for the faith. That word, I want you to think with me, just to remind you, contend, the idea is an intense struggle. Folks, I don't know if you ever think about that when you are seeking to live your life for God now and grab hold of what you believe, the faith, that there is a battle going on. And there are not just those apostates, but Satan himself are seeking to do everything they can to twist and pervert the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the idea of contending, an intense struggle, combat, strenuous effort, it's like a wrestling match. That's what you ought to feel in your soul as you stand for the faith of Jesus Christ. It's the idea of fighting for the truth, fighting for the faith, fighting for what we believe is found here in the truth of Jesus Christ and the Word of God. And we need to contend for the faith. So when I talk about offense and defense, this battle of contending for the faith against apostates and false teaching, this is what following Jesus is all about all the time. It's not just once in a while when we're under attack, but it's daily living as we contend for the faith. And I hope that gives you a little more clarity of the picture that we have on the screen. I had that up last week. We were talking about sheep. We who know Jesus as part of the church are the sheep, and the wolves are those apostates, those false teachers who are out to destroy the church, who are out to destroy the faith that we have been given by God. Now, Jude is telling us that as we think about this, we can't just sit back and identify false teachers and look for the wolves. We talked about who they are. These last number of weeks, Jude has been identifying, giving us information so that we can recognize false teachers, so that we can understand false teaching, But the idea as he closes, as he's getting to the close of his letter in verse 17, we need to defend what we believe. That's part of the contending for the faith. But we must also take the steps necessary to live our lives on mission. We talk about Matthew chapter 28. Our mission as a church to make more people more like Jesus. That's based on Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, and Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. We are called to make disciples of all nations, all nations. And we do that by going, by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. By then as people respond and put their faith in Jesus Christ, we baptize them. And then we teach them to obey. That's the mission. And folks, we must live on mission. If we're going to contend for the faith, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, we've got to be all about that, about making disciples of all nations. That is critical, and that is offense. That, I don't mean being offensive, There's a difference. And you all chuckle. (laughs) So you know what I'm talking about, right? We need to go on offense here as we talk about contending for the faith. Now, I came across this statement this week in my study about the purpose of Jude. And it is simply this. Jude is writing to equip his readers for Christian living in a context of false teaching. Writing to equip his readers for Christian living in a context of false teaching. We live in a context, a world of false teaching, and we need to grab hold of what does it mean to live for Christ in that context. But I want to say to you as we work through that, I want to share with you from Jude and verses 17 to 21 the four steps necessary to live a godly life in an ungodly world. So if you have your Bibles with you, and you haven't already turned to Jude, just back near the end of your Bible, Jude, the letter of Jude is there. And uh, we're going to look at verse 17. Now, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, your phone or tablet or a uh, copy of the Word of God underneath the chair in front of you. There should be a Bible there. And in that Bible, page 860, and it'll take you right to Jude, and you can follow along. So we're going to start at verse 17. So you follow as I read verses 17, 18, and 19. But dear friends, Jude says, writing to those who know Jesus, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are not or these are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not do not have the spirit talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, Jude starts verse 17 and there's a change of tone from where he's been. The first 16 verses, he was was warning us, this is, hey, the apostates are there, the false teaching is there, and we need to contend for the faith. We need to be ready to stand up for what we believe and defend against the false teaching that's all around us. He's saying that. He says, hear how you can recognize these false teachers. But then he says here, now, verse 17, dear friends, he's now going on The offense. That's what we're changing from defense to offense. And he's saying, here's what you need to do. You need to remember what I've been telling you. And you need to remember what the apostles have said. What you have heard from them. From Peter, from Paul, from James, from others who were teaching at that point about false teaching. You need to remember and, and, and the apostles told us that there would be scoffers. Real simply put, a scoffer is a mocker. Amen. Somebody who makes fun of anything, but in this case, the gospel. Right. Making fun of what we believe to be true. And he goes on, he says, they're ungodly. They're divisive. Whenever you see false teaching, apostates, there's going to be division. God's people are going to be split. They're going to be divided. And and that's not in a good way. That's in a negative way. There's going to be God's people at one another because of false teaching. And he says, "And and then they're worldly. They follow their natural instincts because they're without the Holy Spirit. See, these are people who do not know Jesus. They are not followers of Jesus. These false teachers have never been transformed by the grace of God through the death of Christ on the cross. They've never been changed. They've never put their faith in Jesus Christ, and so they do not have the Holy Spirit of God. They didn't lose their salvation. They never had it to begin with. Now, Jude 20. Look at verse 20. Again, but you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. But you, dear friends, it's time for offense again four steps necessary to live a godly life in an ungodly world and i want you to see those four steps so if you're taking notes you get these four steps down because it's what jude is saying it's what the word of god says need to be true in our lives as believers number 1 step number 1 build yourselves up in the faith that's what he says in verse 21 by build verse 20 excuse me by building yourselves up in your most Holy faith. What's he talking about? Well, it's a construction term. Obviously, building yourselves up. Now, when it says building yourselves, he's talking about the church, everybody. We are all part of building each other up. We have a responsibility to build up one another individually and corporately. Build up yourselves. The yourselves, yes, it's plural, but you could, I could say to a bunch of individuals yourselves, right? But he's talking about the church. And he's saying, you need to build yourselves up both individually because each of us as individuals make up the church, but corporately together we make up that church. And he says, you need to build on the foundation that already exists. Who's that? It's Jesus. Paul tells us that. Building The foundation is Jesus Christ and we build on that foundation together with other believers. We're building each other's up in our knowledge and understanding of Jesus Christ and the truth of the word of God. We're talking about spiritual growth and development. Folks, I I don't know when, I guess probably for years, but somewhere along the way. God's people, those who would claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, have grabbed hold of this idea that we don't need to grow. It's okay for us just to get saved, just to put our faith in Jesus Christ and and not move, not develop spiritually, not grow spiritually mature. Jude is saying that's not going to help you defend the faith. Folks, with all the stuff that's going on in the world today, in our country today, all of the 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 changing of what used to be, as it relates to all the subjects and topics that are out there, that we know are are uh, taking uh, the truth of what we believe. Our country, uh, we have people fighting to hold on to the truth of the word of God and yet it's under attack from every angle possible but I got to tell you something folks as we stand to defend what we believe against all of the changes in culture with marriage and abortion and identity and all these kinds of things we need to understand that in love we stand for the truth of the word of God but folks that's not our battle either I'm not saying we don't contend for the faith but you know when you watch the news and listen to the news and read the news and you hear about all this negative stuff and there's all kinds of Christian people writing books about all that stuff that's out there and that's fine to read it but that's not the battle. The battle is people need to know Jesus Christ and we need to be proclaiming the gospel every opportunity we get Folks, if we were as excited about proclaiming the gospel to people who don't know Jesus as we are about fighting for all the other issues, I think we might gain more ground by doing that. We need to build ourselves up. We need to help one another grow. The Bible's full, the New Testament, full of one another's. Encourage one another. Serve one another. Restore one another gently when someone's overtaken in a sin. Carry one another's burdens. Teach one another. Admonish one another. And I'm not going to take the time on the screen. I would have Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. You can read that and study through that on your own. Let the message of Christ, the word of Christ, dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. That idea of admonishing is warning. We warn one another. When we see evidence in the life of one who claims to know Jesus Christ that doesn't show that's not in keeping with the truth of the word of God we need to come alongside them and admonish them warn them it's quite the contrast from the divisiveness of the false teachers when Jude just said that these false teachers will seek to divide you and yet Jude is saying to God's people you need to work to build yourselves up to stay together And this is when the church becomes more than just a service on Sunday morning. You see, the church isn't just about what we do, because some of these things we're talking about what we need to do, but it's more so about who we are. And when we understand who God's called us to be, who he's made us to be as followers of Jesus Christ, we've got to help each other we've got to build ourselves up in the faith secondly verse 20 and praying in the spirit praying under the control and influence of the Holy Spirit of God guided and stimulated in your praying by the Holy Spirit of God you're directed you're led by the Holy Spirit of God there are some who would read this and talk about praying in the Spirit and think that this would have something to do with speaking in tongues or something like that. That's not, in, and not even close to being in the context of what Jude is writing about. We spent time back when we went through 1 Corinthians, so I'm not going to go back through all of that, but this is praying under the control and influence of the Holy Spirit of God. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 that we are to continually, constantly, all the time be filled with the Spirit under the control and influence of the Holy Spirit of God. And if you will study through Ephesians chapter 5 verses 15, 16 through 18, 19, you'll find out that the filling of the Spirit and and Paul is using an illustration. He says, don't be drunk with wine but be filled with the spirit. When a person is drunk, they're under the control of the alcohol. They, they, they can't help it, right? That's what's controlling them. And, and Paul is saying, just like... A drunk person is under control by the alcohol. A person who is filled with the Spirit is under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. And so a person who is filled with the Spirit, when they're praying, they're praying under the direction and the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. Folks, we can pray anywhere. That's the really great thing. It's Talking to God, it's amazing. You can talk to God in the quietness of your own home at 5 o'clock in the morning or at midnight at night. You can talk to God when you're driving in your car to work or to school or on vacation or wherever it is you go. You can talk to God anywhere you are, in any way, with anybody. Praying in the Holy Spirit. And it's important that we're praying according to the revealed will of God. As we pray, you know, sometimes people will, will want to pray about things. You say, hey, would you pray with me about this because I'm thinking about this. L- let me give you an example. As a youth pastor for a lot of years, sometimes we'd have some of our high school kids when they start dating. And they'd get involved as a, as, as a believer with an unbeliever. And, and, and we'd have a conversation it was like, well, like I'm, pr- I'm praying about this. And whoa, there's nothing you, you, there's, you don't need to pray about that. God's word, his revealed will, is clear that you got no business being involved dating an unsaved person as one who knows Jesus Christ. Just like you don't have any business as a believer marrying an unbeliever. We don't have to pray about that. Why? Because the revealed word of God says otherwise we're going to pray in the spirit, we pray according to the truth, the revealed will of God. Check out Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18. Paul says, And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, he says, Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Amen. Are you praying for one another? Prayer's hard. Isn't it? It We need to be praying for one another. And that's what Paul's trying to get, or Jude's trying to get out here. And you know what? That's part of how we can build others up, is praying for them. Thirdly, step number three, keep yourselves in God's love. Now, this is the key step in these four steps. And in these two verses, verses 20 and 21... Jude is talking about this whole business. Keep yourselves in God's love. It's the only imperative. It's the only command of the four steps. The others, they're not just suggestions or options. They're there. They're verbs that we need to do. We need to build ourselves up. We need to pray in the Spirit, and we're going to see in a minute. We need to wait for the mercy of the Lord. But this is a command. And it's the idea, keep yourselves in God's love. You must do that. You say, well, how do we do that? How do you keep yourselves in God's love? I'm glad you asked. Because I want you to look at John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And if you want to write it down and follow or follow with me, John chapter 15. And I want you to see. What, what, what Jesus himself said. John chapter 15 and verse 9. And here's, here's how we know what it means to keep yourselves in God's love. John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me. And Jesus is talking. Okay? Jesus is talking. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Jesus is talking to the disciples. All right, I, so I have loved you. Now remain, here it is, now remain in my love. Keep yourselves in God's love. Here's what Jesus says, remain in my love, verse 10. Here's the how. Here's how we remain in God's, keep yourselves in God's love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. So what does it mean to remain in God's love? Obey, right? Isn't that what it says? Look, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Now that is a whole lot easier said than done, huh? Remain in my love. Jude says it. Keep yourselves in God's love. The command is the same, and it is to obey Jesus, to keep his commands. We have that right here, the Bible. God's given us all that we need to do, he's given us all that we need to know. He says, You obey what's here. And that's what he says, keep my commands. And then, you know, I I look look at the very last phrase of verse 10. He says, if you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. You know, that's a a phrase, a sentence. I have to be honest with you, when I read through that, okay, that's just filler. um, I don't need that. I'll just focus on the... If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love. And then I kept reading, and, I, and I, it hit me. Wait a minute. Jesus says, just as I have kept my Father's commands. So if we keep his commands, just like Jesus has kept his Father's commands, what does that make us? More like Jesus. Huh? I I I gotta be honest, I missed that. I don't know how many times I read and I missed it. I went right over it. And I'm like, okay, that's just one of those things, that's not what it really means. I'm gonna keep going on. And yet I thought, No, 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 no. That's our mission. More people, more like Jesus. We are to be growing more like Jesus every day. If you're not becoming more like Jesus in your own individual walk with God, folks, you can sit in this auditorium 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and guess what? You ain't going to grow. You know who grow the most when they show up here on Sunday morning? those who are growing at home. I think it's so important that we understand this. This is the heart of what Jesus is talking about because he says, just like I have kept my father's commands, you keep my commands so that, as Jude says, you will keep yourselves in God's love. Obedience. God's word that's what Jude is talking about and then number four step number four he goes on in the end of verse 21 and he says wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life now what's he talking about That idea is wait for means to be looking for. It's like the kids on Christmas morning looking for Santa, right? I know. Okay. But but you get the anticipation, right? Are you excited about the fact that Jesus is coming back? That's what... That's what Jude is talking about. Because notice the end of that sentence. He says, to bring you to eternal life. What is that? That's the return of Jesus Christ at the rapture. To bring you to eternal life. To bring your salvation to its completeness. That's when we ultimately, finally become like Jesus. John says, 1 John chapter 3 and the first three verses, he says, listen, we don't know what we're going to be like when Jesus comes again, but we know that we will be like him. Why? Because we will see him as he is. Jesus is coming, and that's what Jude is talking about. He says, we're waiting for the mercy And it is at that ultimate completion of our salvation when we fully experience the mercy of God, when we do not get what we deserve, right? That's what we talk about. Grace is getting what we do not deserve. That's grace, right? God's undeserved favor, grace. But the mercy is God doesn't give us what we do deserve the mercy our salvation will be completed and he says you're to wait for that day when Jesus comes again now you got to look at this second peter chapter 3 verses 11 and 12 and if you just go back a few pages in your bible of course your tablet scroll back but second peter chapter 3 because when jude is talking about wait for it's the idea of expectation and atis- anticipation. What does that expecting, what is that waiting for? What is that looking for the return of Jesus? What is that anticipation that Jesus Christ is coming back one day? What does it do for us? Peter tells us. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11 Since everything will be destroyed in this way. And you can go back into verse 10 and 9. You can see he's talking about the new heavens and the new earth. He's talking about the destruction of the old heavens and the old earth in God's judgment. And here's he says, since everything will be destroyed in this way. Here it is. What kind of people ought you to be? He's talking to those who know Jesus. He says, what kind of people should you be? You ought to live. He didn't just ask the question. He answers it. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you, what? Look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Isn't that just what Jude said? Waiting for, looking for As you look forward to the day of God and speed, it's coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. Verse 14, so then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with God. We spent some time... A month or so ago, when we were talking about a follow-up, the appendices to 1 Corinthians, we spent some time talking about the rapture when Jesus is coming again. That's the next event on God's prophetic calendar for us. Nothing else has to happen. There's no other scripture that has to be fulfilled before Jesus can come again. And he can come again at 1019. But it's not just, we can get all caught up in knowing the events and the order of events and all of that stuff. In the book of Revelation, there's a lot of really amazing stuff there. And We can get caught up in knowing all of that, and we ought to know it. But the whole point of Jesus' return is that we need to be ready for him to come. That's what Peter is talking about. That's what Jude is talking about. If we're going to contend for the faith, if we're going to defend what we believe, if we're going to be on the offensive and proclaim the truth, we must be ready for the Lord to come again. And we got to be ready to tell people who don't know Jesus that he is coming and they better get on the stick. Make every effort to be found spotless blameless and at peace with him that doesn't mean the day before he comes that means right now that's why verse 11 what kind of people ought you to be you ought to live holy and godly lives as we look forward as we wait for Jesus to to come again now folks that's not difficult to understand what that means That's real clear. You may think, you know, I need to go deeper. I need more Bible study. I need more of this. I need more of that. Can I just say to you, no, if we would live what we know to be true right now, it would change our lives. And I did not say that we shouldn't keep studying the Word of God. We absolutely should. But what Jude is saying is it's time to obey it. It's time to do what we've learned all these years. It's time to put into practice all that Bible study knowledge that we bring into our heads. Because James says, if we're going to remain in God's love, keep ourselves in God's love, we must keep his command. So what's the bottom line? i got to ask this question in light of what you've just heard, what do you need to do? What do you need to do differently in your life? How do you need to grow? How do you need to change? You see, I can stand up here, anybody can stand up here week after week after week and and preach from the Bible. But if we don't change our behavior, it's not going to be of any effect. And the bottom line to all of this of what Jude is saying, if we're going to contend for the faith, if we're going to defend what we believe but go on the offense, we need to obey. We need to do what God's word says and we're told we got to be more like Jesus and make disciples. How are you doing with that? Are you growing? Are you sharing that faith? that was once for all given to God's people? Are we telling others about Jesus? Is that just burdening our hearts? Is it on the tip of our tongue, the top of our head? Is it there? Is it every time we turn around and see somebody, are we thinking they need Jesus? What can I do to intentionally build a relationship with that person who needs Jesus so that I can have the opportunity to tell them about the greatest thing that's ever happened in my life? I think everyone here today who knows Jesus, and I'm not assuming everybody does, but for you who know Jesus, for you who are a follower of Jesus Christ, we talk all the time about our King Jesus, about our God is King of this entire world. Nobody here who knows Jesus would deny that. But I got to ask you, are you following him? Are you serving him with all your heart? If we really believe he is the king of this whole world, how does that affect our life? How does it affect the way we live tomorrow morning when we get up and go about our day's activities? The bottom line is simply, I think, Mo- mostly step number three, because all the others are encompassed in that, and that is to keep yourselves in God's love by obeying His truth. Father, thank you for your word. God, help us. In this dark, ungodly day in which we live, to shine as the light of the world that you've made us to be. Help us to let our light shine so that others may see our lives and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Lord, there's so much here, and yet it boils down to doing what we know is true and found in your word. God, help us to obey you in the power of your spirit. Help us to be an encouragement to build up one another in the faith, to pray for one another, and God, to excitedly With unbelievable anticipation, look forward to the return of Jesus Christ and live differently as we wait. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen.